When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 56-yard attempt here with two seconds to go in the half. Burkich unloads, boy. This would have been good from 66. Oh, my goodness. Going up in the win column for the Sooners, it wasn't what anybody expected, but a 40 to 35 win over Tulane to start the 2021 college football season. Has Oklahoma 1 and 0 looking square in the face at Western Carolina? Um, we this is a game where you leave with more questions than you do answers. Is it time to hit the panty button if you're an Oklahoma football fan? We're going to jump into all of that, but uh, at the end of the day. You leave the stadium, you turn your TV off, you go to bed or whatever you do, and your team is 1-0. and And as you look across the landscape of college football, you got North Carolina going down to unranked Virginia Tech. You got Washington losing to Montana. You got Oklahoma State having to do back-to-back sacks to secure a victory over Missouri State. It could have been much, much worse for the Sooners on Saturday in Norman, Rich. I'm not going to disagree um, with your assessment of really how the weekend played out. I know that there were, I believe it was six FCS teams that claimed wins over FBS teams. So in hindsight, I know that it wasn't the win that a lot of people expected. And maybe there were some misplaced expectations upon this team. Maybe there were some lofty expectations placed upon this team because of the the win streak that they rattled off of last season. And it's very easy to overlook some of the key players that they're replacing and saying that it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Matt, I even found myself sitting on that side of the equation saying it's not going to affect this team. And more specifically, it's not going to affect the offensive line or it's not going to affect the defensive secondary. Needless to say, a win is a win. And when you look at the ultimate goal, first step in that goal is a Big 12 championship. Those hopes are still intact. A college football playoff appearance, that hope, that dream is still intact. Winning your first college football playoff game, all of these things are still intact. And ultimately, the possibility of winning a national championship remains in place. And so you have to rest secure in that fact in this moment because there's a lot that's going to happen. There's a lot that's going to change. And this landscape's going to continue to shift as the pretenders, um, as they've previously been called, are weeded out from the actual contenders on the national level. Yeah, it all comes down to expectations for me. When you're talking about the first game, what were the expectations coming into the season? Everyone talked about this offense. How This was going to be a year that the offense was going to hum under Lincoln Riley. They talked about how much better the defense was going to be and how nasty that front seven was. But we, you know, if you remember, Rich, we talked extensively going into the season. The big question mark for us was going to be the secondary. The big question mark on offense was going to be the running backs. And I think those two things are still very much question marks but when you look across the landscape of the college of college football, legitimately, the only team, in my opinion, that looked like a top five program this weekend 
was Alabama. Georgia didn't look spectacular. They won, but they didn't look spectacular. Clemson absolutely didn't look spectacular. I mean, you, you go down that list and there's not a lot of great out there when you talk about the, the quote, blue bloods. Ohio State didn't look spectacular. Everybody struggled, it seemed like, in one aspect or another, except for Alabama. And I've got no problems with Alabama being number one again. Even, you know, Oklahoma took some votes away from Alabama. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think when the poll comes out on Monday, Alabama is going to be the unanimous number one. I've got no problem with that. I think another thing that's going to happen is Georgia having beaten Clemson is probably going to leapfrog Oklahoma into number two. And I'll be honest with you, I got no problem with that either. But what was the expectation coming in? And guys like me, I, I mean, I'm just going to go down this road for a second. Guys like me who said Oklahoma was only going to score 40 points in this game. That was my prediction. I said Oklahoma would score 40. Guys like me took, took it on the chin Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning. Guys like me who said Oklahoma would not cover a 31 and a half point spread against Tulane took it on the chin. We took it on the chin, but it's it's all about the expectations. And I had question marks about the secondary. I had question marks about the running backs. I said, if you've got eight offensive linemen, you don't have your set five. This is what you get. Now, what, what did take me off guard in this game? I think the biggest surprise to me was I did not expect Spencer Rattler to throw two interceptions. And when you look at breaking down this offense, we talked about this on the pregame podcast Spencer Rattler did eclipse 300 yards passing at 304. Uh, he had one touchdown, the two interceptions. Just, I just, I thought that Spencer Rattler was gone. I thought we lost him in the second half of the Texas game last year. And this new Spencer Rattler, that's the Heisman front runner was who we had. Now I, I just, I didn't expect though. And those were the, not only did the two interceptions result in 14 points for Tulane, but when you have an offensive machine like what Oklahoma produces, that takes basically it takes points off the board. You realize Oklahoma didn't punt all game long. They they we we talked about the new punter. We didn't get to see him because he never took the field. Oklahoma gave Tulane 14 points off of turnovers. And again, when I start with this offense, 7.9 yards per pass attempt. That, that's decent. 430 total yards. That's decent. 24 first downs. That's decent. But three of 12 on third down, they got to get way better than that. And Spencer Rattler turned the ball over twice against Tulane, uh, a secondary that we said was not strong. We talked about, I, we talked about Thursday night, how good these linebackers were for Tulane. And I think they lived up to that billing holding Oklahoma to uh, just 3.3 yards per carry. Uh, Sooners did not have a 100-yard rusher in this game. But uh, again, it comes down to Spencer Rattler. He's got to be better. He's got to make better decisions with the ball, and he's got to quit letting it float. I mean, that's just simple mechanics. And it gives me hope that things like that can be fixed because that's a mechanical issue. When, when the ball's sailing on you, it's not that you're making a bad read. It's just your mechanics are off. And uh, I think if there's one coach in America that I trust to help a kid fix his mechanics. It's Lincoln Riley. When I, uh, Matt, you've thrown a lot out. Sorry. Yeah, I just kind of went on a little and, rant there. No, no, no. You're, you're okay. Um, because one of the things that I think we, we can look at the individual performance of a Spencer Rattler, but I think you've thrown out a, a little bit more of an important number for me. And that is the average yards 
per rush. Mm-hmm. Sure, Kennedy Brooks was well above that 3.3 mark. But as a team, when you look at Oklahoma and you see that number, I expected it to be closer to five, if not over the five mark. And it really speaks to some of the woes, some of the struggles that existed on the offensive line. Is there trust that exists there from the offensive line or more importantly, from the quarterback to the offensive line? And how much of that contributes to these interceptions we saw? I know that all post game long the one thing that you heard players and coaches talk about was who wanted it more in mentality who was mentally prepared and that mental preparation clearly begins not on the day of the game but it begins game week mm-hmm. Oklahoma and Matt I think there was a majority of people who would have found themselves in this boat Oklahoma thought they had the win at halftime when you put up 37 points right. and you gain a, a fairly sizable lead there's that separation You go into the locker room and the mentality is we have this game in the bag. That was what was said from the fan viewpoint. I can only imagine that it was being said, not verbally, but with body language. Well, Lincoln Riley said, I mean, Lincoln Riley said as much where you're going, Lincoln Riley said, we just mentally, we were not ready for that second half. So you're, you're spot on with what you're saying. Uh And so, and so when you look at what Oklahoma was doing for the full four quarters, Oklahoma played about a quarter and a half of football of what we expect yeah. from this team with the current names on the roster. The rest it was it was on cruise control and that was very evident. That showed Tulane was a team that came out very emotional, I believe, in the, the beginning of this game. Sure, they got that interception early on the second offensive play from Oklahoma, which only boosted the confidence that this is Tulane is a team that belongs on the field with Oklahoma. And they bought in from that moment forward. Again, you see that coming out of the second half or in the second half where Tulane just slowly chips away. And at the end of the game, it has the opportunity for the upset. So I'm not saying that the sky is falling at this point. I don't think there's one individual to blame. I do think from the leadership down, this was a game that Oklahoma one didn't prepare themselves for mentally, but two, I don't think they prepare prepared themselves for it physically either. When you look at the trenches, you look at the offensive line, there was no push for mm-hmm. the running game. There weren't right. these, these gaping holes for these running backs to run through. And that speaks not just of the mentality, not just of the physicality, but the third factor, which was who wanted it more mm-hmm. Tulane saying, we're getting in the backfield. We're going to, we're going to bring the havoc. Can you stop us? And if you can't, we have a shot at winning this game. Oklahoma just never responded again. They glided to Owen. It was a cruise control type win. it was not a dominating, it was not a punishing performance that I think a lot of individuals, myself included expected, which is why I sat very, very far from your opinions in how this game would play out. I thought there would be big plays. There really weren't. I thought that Oklahoma had the ability to run up the scoreboard and to get some style points as I labeled them on Thursday. That wasn't the case either. No, and and I think to me, the thing that stands out the most on this, whether you're talking about the offensive side or the defensive side of the ball, the guys, and then maybe it's just my perspective, but the guys who didn't seem to have that mentality were these young guys, the Billy Bowmans, the, the Mario Williams, the, those guys who stepped in and they're young, they're new starters, be it a true freshman or a guy who's been in the program. I, I liked what I saw from this team, but you're you're absolutely right. You outscored Tulane 23 to nothing in the second quarter, but then you only dropped three points in the third and fourth quarters combined. And 
I mean, you, you, if you if you're Oklahoma, I said this about Baylor, and it ended up being true about Oklahoma. You walked off the field as a winner, but really you you didn't kind of have that satisfaction of victory. Now you have to see what this team mm-hmm. is going to do with that. How is that going to set with them? Western Carolina, the good news is you've played probably your best non-conference opponent. That's out of the way. Western Carolina coming in next Saturday night will be the, the third of the three non-conference opponents. Nebraska would beat Western Carolina by three touchdowns. But how, I want to see the focus. I, I was totally caught off guard by – because here, here's what what indicates what you're saying is true. How many false start penalties? Right. You know that that's the mentality. I mean, you're the only guy. There, there's eleven. There's 22 guys on the field. Eleven of the 22 know what the snap count is, and you're one of those eleven. How do you not go on time repeatedly, Rich? They did it on an extra point attempt. And. Matt, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here, not to hijack your your side of the argument, but when I look at at the false starts, it's it's I, I think a portion of it can be attributed to frustration. And when that frustration creeps in, you feel as though you're trying to get an edge, and now you're jumping off sides, getting ahead of that count. I mean, maybe I'm just, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to jump in on that. And, and, and I just think it's lack of focus. I don't think it's trying to get an end because there's really nobody on two lanes defensive line that should have kind of owned Oklahoma's offensive line. I just think it's a lack of focus. I, I really do. I mean, I, there's, I, I coached football and I didn't play the offensive line, but I was an offensive player when I played football. There, there really is no excuse Unless the quarterback messes up, there's no excuse for the offensive line or the off, and a, a guy playing on the line, be it a receiver, be it a, a tight end, be it a lineman. There's no excuse for anybody up front to jump early. Now, you, it could happen once because you're excited. You know, the, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a guy who's going to admit it happened to me when I know the ball's coming my way. When I know I'm the number one receiver, and I've got to get a first step on the guy that's that's across from me. I did it once or twice, but never two or three times in a game. And that's just that's the frustration that I that I see that indicates a lack of focus. So when you go into this Western Carolina game, those are the type of things because you're going to run the ball against Western Carolina. You're you're going to play good defense against Western Carolina. You're, I mean, you're you're going to control. This is the game. <laughs> I hate to be the I told you so guy. But, you know, we're, we're talking Thursday night. Western Carolina is when you're going to play three quarterbacks. And so all that's going to happen. But how do you know if this team's improved? The first way we're going to know is these type of penalties. And these were really the only really penalties Oklahoma had. And if these things are limited or completely erased, then you know that the mental preparedness and the mental, mental focus is better than it was going into week one. And all that said you find yourself in a better place going into the Nebraska week. Does that make sense? The one, it does make sense. And the one thing that I am not envious of, of players that are on this roster, of players who contributed, players whose names show up on the participation list at this point, the one thing I'm not envious of is Monday at practice because you you know exactly what is going to happen. There is going to be a revitalized tenacity that's coming from the coaches. And the coaches are, I mean, 
to their credit, they're taking a lot of the blame. And they're saying that this was a mentality, a focus issue yeah. from the top down. I know that Lincoln Riley has even criticized some of his play calling, some of the, the choices that he decided to make mid-game. And when it starts coming from top down, something has to change. Something has to give. And I can guarantee you this, um, they will not have this same problem next week because of the physical the physical pain that they will have to endure. I don't know how else to label that, but the, the physical requirements that they will undergo this week in practice. And it all starts on Monday. No, it started, it started yesterday afternoon because it's not just physical, it's mental anguish. And I guarantee you, Bill Biedenboe has already had some conversations and I'm really curious, probably Wednesday, Thursday, when the two deep comes out for this next game, I'm, I'm wanting to know how many oars, you know, are on that offensive line because you had eight options and I'm curious how much that gets trimmed down because it should, if we're being honest with ourselves, it should get trimmed down um, this coming week. Um, uh, we're talking about surprises on the offense. And the thing that, that surprised me was the interceptions uh, by Spencer Rattler, but also the ineffectiveness of Eric Gray. I, I really expected more from him. And I don't think you can argue at this point that, he is the best running back. I mean, it's clearly Kennedy Brooks is of the two guys. Kennedy Brooks looked more like a starting running back than Eric Gray did. Absolutely. I had that exact same thought and it was really the demeanor that Kennedy Brooks carried himself with. You saw when he was handed the ball, how he attacked the yeah. defense. You saw that his willingness to not only engage physically with a defender, but get ahead of a defender in that game, have some kind of an edge or game plan when doing that. Eric Gray, while I do believe there's a lot of potential there, I don't think we got the best version of no, him. Not at and, all. and we know that Eric Gray is a versatile player. We know that he can be used in multiple facets of the game. And it's a lot of facets that we're not going to see Kennedy Brooks in. I don't know if it was the first game jitters in front of a new crowd in a new stadium in a new uniform for Eric Gray, but we know that he has a lot of potential. Kennedy Brooks is the one to me, regardless of potential here, who looked comfortable and what was, what was being asked of him and knew exactly what he was going to do once he was handed that ball. Yeah, just in case you weren't aware, it didn't, you didn't catch it live game time. Eric Gray was the starting running back. Your starting wide receivers were Mike Woods, Jaden Hazelwoods, and Marvin Mims. Austin Stogner was out there as the tight end H-back. And your five guys up front were Tyrese Robinson, Marquise Hayes, Chris Murray, Robert Congle, and Anton Harrison. When you look at this group, I, the, one, the one spot that I think we see a change going into week two is at the running back position. I, I, I think you would should fully expect, right, to see because of what we just said. That should be Kennedy Brooks there instead of Eric Gray. Yeah, I, I do believe that's the case. And we know that this is all year long, Matt, is going to be a 1A, 1B, as Kennedy Brooks is the top option maybe for this upcoming game. But on the depth chart, you really only have two scholarship running backs who are going to contribute at any point in the season. Sure, there are a handful of other names that appear on the roster, but they don't have that scholarship moniker attached to them. And so when you're looking at the two viable options, the two legitimate options to start, I'm not saying that it will just be Kennedy Brooks or Eric Gray all season long, but that's the, that's the overwhelming thought that has to happen mm -hmm. unless something drastic changes 
in the meantime, one question I want to throw back at you is when we looked at Kennedy Brooks, when we look at Eric Gray live in person, whether that's in, uh, through the a TV screen in a game situation, I felt as though Kennedy Brooks looked like the stronger back, looked like a guy who had a stronger motor, mm-hmm. a stronger lower lower body. Am I off in that assumption, off in that that judgment? No, not at all. Kennedy, I mean, of course, Kennedy Brooks is more experienced. He's he's older. He's been in a college program longer. But the, you know, this goes back to conversations in the spring when Kennedy Brooks is coming back. Was what kind of shape is he going to be in? You know, after mm-hmm. taking a year off, what is he going to look like? You you had to trust the coaches when the coaches said he's in great shape. He's been taking care of his body. He's been taking care of himself, and he's ready to go. And that 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 type of discussion continued through the summer, and then you see it play out on the field on Saturday, not that Eric Gray isn't in shape, not that he's not ready to go, but Kennedy Brooks like it looked like a seasoned veteran running back on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Eric Gray looked like an up and comer. And, and, and again, it was night and day difference. I did not expect that. I expected the two to be a little bit more closely um, to each other as Matched. far as, yeah, I mean, but they, they clearly weren't. And, I know Lincoln Riley's probably trying to make a point. You know, we got this guy in, he he can catch, he can run. But again, after seeing this game, because they're both, they could both easily go for a hundred yards against Western Carolina. That is, that's not going to prove anything. If you want to know who the best back is, you, you're going to have to go back to this film right here. The next opportunity that Eric Gray is going to have to prove that he's a better back than Kennedy Brooks isn't going to come until Nebraska. So can Kennedy Brooks looked like he was a man who was an experienced running back, like I said, but also he like he had a little chip on his shoulder, like he had something to prove. And and I think he definitely made that statement on Saturday. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with lighting a fire under a player, in my opinion, especially given the way that the the running back room sorted itself out last year. One of the most welcomed sites, Matt, I will say. And I know that you're talking about the differences between Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks, but one of the welcome sites was having an experienced running back in the backfield and seeing just how much of a difference that makes, regardless of what's happening along that offensive line, some of the substitutions that are happening there, some of the communication or the, the failure to start at the proper time there, there was a lot going on with the offensive line, but having that, experience running back again is one of the welcome sites that I, I think we can kind of press into throughout the remainder of the season, um, despite what's happening around them. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's go into um, the receivers for just a second and uh, look at Marvin Mins picking up where he dropped off last season, five catches, 117 yards, average 23.4 yards per reception, but really Mario Williams, six catches leads the team. Only guy to catch a touchdown pass on Saturday was Mario Williams. And then I was shocked, not that Brian Darby was playing, but that Brian Darby was playing quality minutes, three catches, 26 yards, and made a really, really strong catch near the goal line. Um, That's that's what caught me off guard. I I said this in in the post-game write-up, was that in all the conversations we had coming into this game, knowing that Theo Weiss was going to be out with an injury, we, we gave all these options, Rich, Neither one of us ever mentioned Brian Darby, but yet there he was. And uh, I, I just, it's kind of like a happy, happy moment to see a, a guy, a young guy be able to go out and give those kind of minutes. 
Uh, I'm not going to lie um, and tell you that you I no expected idea? that. Oh, okay. To happen. No, and 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 you're you're spot on when you say that this was an individual that nobody was talking about, and it's because of the depth. It's because of the talent that exists at the wide receiver position. I don't know how much the Theo Weiss injury changed that equation because I do have to believe if. Theo Weiss is available. It doesn't matter where he's listed. You know he's going to play, and he's going to be playing quality minutes. So when it's the next man up situation, all of a sudden we're looking at the the receiving stats and saying, okay, is Brian Darby that next man up? As far as Mario Williams is concerned, I know that there was a lot of hype surrounding him, and it's it's very difficult to make a name for yourself in such a talented room. Mario Williams, you mentioned the only individual, the only player to catch a touchdown pass in the the not home opener, but home opener. However, you're going to label that in the future. Um, he did have an opportunity at a second one, and we're really beginning to see this, this Marvin Mims-esque quality right. in him and a guy who's going to continue to make himself available. He's going to run crisp routes, and he he's ultimately going to make these defenders take a step backwards and possibly play with a cushion, which I can only see benefiting a guy of that, that athleticism and that type of talent. I do want to throw a, another individual out there, Matt, because I was expecting some big things from Mike Woods. I was expecting, I had mentioned the big plays. And so I think one of the negative surprises for me, and this is not just an attribute that should be placed upon Mike Woods' shoulder, but it was the lack of of the deep ball. We didn't see a ton of passes downfield. And when you and I talked on Thursday, a portion of that game plan was to take these right. deep shots. It was to test the secondary and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you were on board with saying Oklahoma's got to throw to run the ball yeah. here. I get that there were those struggles, the false starts on the offensive line, which did hinder a little bit of what Oklahoma was doing, but I definitely thought Mike Woods would be a guy who recorded Sure, four catches, 36 yards, but recorded a, a catch longer than 12 yards. Just didn't happen for him this week. No, you're right. But I also think that's probably some game planning as well that that I missed. You know, I talked about trying to neutralize these linebackers by by running underneath stuff. And you saw that's why, you know, you look at, we, we talked uh, uh, about um, the youngster, Mario Williams. He had six catches, but he only averaged 6.2 yards per reception because a lot of the things that came underneath to him, the mm -hmm. same thing with Michael Woods. I think they were trying to get, take advantage of speed, get the ball in their hands. Mar Marvin Mims is the only guy who had down the field shots. He had a 50 yard reception uh, in the game, but they, they did what I thought they would do by trying to neutralize these linebackers by going some underneath and then to the flats. They just never really took those shots downfield. And again, I don't know if that was Spencer Rattler not being comfortable. I don't know if it was schematics, but you do know that the two interceptions that he threw were deep passes as well. And so I just, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how he missed that. I, I don't know if, um, I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, but, but you're absolutely right. Oklahoma did not try to exploit that. Um, and I, I thought Michael Woods was, was average in his debut. I think we'll see a lot more from him to come. I think we'll see better from this group as well. Lincoln Riley did mention after the game that he expects Theo Weiss to be out for at least half of the season. So you're looking at five more games without Theo Weiss. Oklahoma was also without Drake Stoops on Saturday. And uh, I'm not certain or not yet whether he'll be back with his team uh, against Western Carolina. But um, there, there was definitely some hiccups across the board 
with this offense. And so I would expect a more focused approach to uh, to practice this week. I would uh, more intentional on on focus. And then a, again, there's not much we're going to see against Western Carolina that's going to make us think, ah, they've really gotten better because they they could get worse. I mean, if you do this type of performance on Saturday night in front of a sellout crowd, then you really kind of raise the flag of, of, um, of panic. But right now it's just kind of guys clean it up, get better at what you're doing and stop turning the ball over. When, when you look at your offensive leaders, Spencer Rattler, 30 of 39, 304 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, Kennedy Brooks averaged 6.2 yards per carry, 87 yards on 14 touches, one receiving touch, uh, one running touchdown. Uh, Spencer Rattler also had a running touchdown. Raise your hand if you expected Caleb Williams to come in the game uh, when it was still very much in jeopardy and take a significant step. Uh, Superman, one run, one carry, one yard, one touchdown. And then Marvin Mims leading the receivers, five receptions for 117 yards. It's that time of the podcast, Rich, where we get to pick our offensive player of the game. So I'm going to let you go first and tell me who, who it is. Man, I, I had a question for yes, you. I'm yes, gonna, you can. I'm gonna give you. I'm going to give you my answer okay. first, though. Um, when we look at the offensive player of the game, I don't know how you can go with any other player outside of Marvin Mims oh, okay. at this point. See, when, I thought your question was going to be, can Gabe Burkett be the offensive player of the game? That's why I said yes. Yes, you can You can pick the kicker if you'd like to. I mean, he should be. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, Four he's the five. difference maker. Right. He's the one who scored. He didn't score all of the points, but he scored the most crucial points. He scored 12 if you're of them. asking me. And in fact, Gabe Burkett tied the FBS record with three, three field goals of 50 right. plus yards in a single game. When we look at, what he was doing, it was nothing short of heroic because yeah. without those kicks, Oklahoma loses this game. I'm still going with Marvin Mims, Matt. Um, like I said, when you see what the product is on the field, when you see a guy who could potentially have had a sophomore slump, it doesn't appear as though he's out on that kind of a trajectory. Instead, you've mentioned it and your verbiage, I think, is spot on when you say that he picked up where he left off last year, eclipsing the the 100-yard mark five catches, uh, the average that he has, it all points towards this sign of greatness once again. And it's very easy for us to forget how young he is, but it's not just the way that he's making himself available and opening up to receive the catch. It's what he's doing after it as well, because this year we're seeing him make contact. We're seeing him break that contact. And in fact, in this game, I would be really interested to see what Marvin Mims numbers were after making that initial contact how many yards did he right. gain that was one of the things that popped off the chart for me and it's why he's easily hands down the offensive player of the game for me but i wanted to ask a quick question because we kind of mentioned Jaden hazelwood but not really there was a singular play and on tv i know that there's a lot of jockeying going on when you get into the red zone Jaden hazelwood with his size immediately is not going to get the benefit of the doubt and players are going to have their their hands draped all over him in an attempt to keep him from elevating getting above them high pointing the ball and coming down with it so there was an instance in the game that played out just as such however i never saw Jaden hazelwood's arms get fully extended he wanted the pass interference call i think people in that end zone wanted the pass interference call are you, when it comes to that specific play, do you even recall that? Yeah. Are you on board? Do you think the officials got it right? 
I, by by not throwing the flag, is that what you're saying? Correct. Yeah, um, I'm gonna say yes, and here's the reason why. Because you know me, Rich, I watched a lot of college football Friday, Saturday, and I'm gonna watch a game here in a little bit tonight. Um, across the board, I saw more hand fighting between defensive backs and receivers that went uncalled mm -hmm. than I can remember seeing in a long time. I I'm of the opinion. If it's just unless it's just blatant, let it go. I mean, let 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 the best man win, so to speak. There there was another one that, uh, gosh, I hope it wasn't Dusty Dvorak, but one of the one of the announcers, and it may have been Dusty Dvorak. Now to think about it, one of the announcers just couldn't believe that I'm pretty sure it was Hazelwood uh, that there was a defensive pass interference when the guy was guarding Hazelwood, but at that point the guy had the guy had Jaden's arms locked. And Jaden pushed off to free his arms up, and they went ahead and threw the flag on that one. But the a guy on ABC was saying that that should have been an offensive pass interference, which couldn't have been more incorrect. I mean, the, the, the call was right. But unless you're just doing something like that or you're tackling the guy before he can catch it, I'm all for letting these guys hand fight and, and let the best man win. I didn't, I guess what I'm saying is. I didn't have a problem with that. Maybe it's not the right either. call from the perspective of, of OU fans who want everything to always be, you know, to their liking. But let me tell you what that play does. You may not like it because you may be screaming at me right now as you're listening going, how can you say that? It was pass interference. But you know what that's going to do? That's going to make Jaden Hazelwood better. That, that play will make him better. And I'm all for that. No harm, no foul. Dude, go win the next uh down. You lose that down, go win the next one. I'm all for it as well because football is a physical sport. Right. And if you expect there to be zero contact, football is not the sport for you. Whether you're a player or a fan or anyone that's involved in the game of football, if you don't like the contact, then football is not for you. And we've heard so many people complain that about some of the rules that are being enacted in order to protect whether it's a player or a certain position. Mm -hmm. A lot of these rules have started to remove that physicality. And so seeing my, my background's more in the basketball realm and physicality would be welcomed yeah. in that sport. So I'm not going to say, don't let these players jockey for position, hand fight, get into each other's bodies when ultimately as a defender, your singular goal is to stop someone from scoring. But as an yeah. offensive player who's going up for that ball, you're wanting to put points on the board. I know it's not all about the points on the board. There's a lot of other areas that you can excel in, even if you don't score. Uh, but the reality of the situation is I enjoy the physicality and think it's what will continue to bring eyeballs to this sport and to the college realm. Yeah, well, let me tell you what I did. Have a pro oh, go ahead. Sorry. Now I was just say, who's your MVP to bring us full it's circle here? Gabe Burkich. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to, we haven't talked about him yet and we haven't talked about him enough. I mean, this, what we have said is just not enough. Even, even with the miss four or five on field goals, 51, 55 and 56. I've never seen that in my lifetime in one game. And, um, and so there's That's just easy though. Yeah. 50 right. yards. You can get out and we kick one, right? Uh, we've we've had this conversation and we even went out and tried it out. And it's a lot harder than it looks, isn't it, Rich? 
It's a lot harder than it looks. Okay, thank you. Um, so the, the point I'm making is- <laughs> I'm uh, just talking about yeah. 30. <laughs> uh, he definitely deserves uh, definitely deserves the, the player of the game offensively for me. I said 12 points earlier. That wasn't counting the extra points. He had 16 uh, total points on the day for Saturday. And so definitely, hands down, my offensive player of the game. Let me, let me come back to full circle as well on this officiating thing. W- one thing I, I did strongly disagree with uh, though I guess what bothered me the most was that you go back and look at the Spencer Rattler touchdown, the, the running play, and Eric Gray gets blasted on that play. He's a defenseless player. The defender comes in lunging helmet to helmet to Eric Gray. That that should have been a targeting penalty. That I don't know how the officials missed that. But it's, it's plain as day. Go back, watch that play. Don't look at Spencer Rattler. Watch Eric Gray. And it is a, a, a legitimate, intentional shot at Eric Gray that it's inexplicable how there was no laundry on the field after that play. Stuff like that bothers me a lot more than a pass interference call that could have gone either way. So let me just throw that out there to you. And I know you said it's a contact sport and nobody believes that more today than Michael Pratt. This dude took shot after shot after shot, including one blow from Key Lawrence that a lot of people still are trying to say should have had Keyshawn Lawrence ejected from the game. I think the officials got this one right. He's Michael Pratt gave up on the play, goes into the slide. Key Lawrence does hit him after he gives up on the play. It is a 15-yard unsportsmanlike, unnecessary roughness penalty, but it absolutely was not targeting. And so as I'm kind of blasting the officials a little bit here, I do have need to give them credit for getting that play right because when it happened in real time, there's no way you would have convinced me that the officials were going to let Key Lawrence stay in this game. And in the moment, Matt, very much so because, because of the reaction from the helmet, when the helmet pops off of a player, more specifically quarterback, you immediately go to a malicious hit, not necessarily malicious intent, but a malicious hit that involved illegal contact as they began to slow that one down during the re the, the replay of it, it became very evident to me. Um, and I know that the announcers said it. So if you were watching on TV, you got the exact same commentary that I got, which mm-hmm. was that key Lawrence hits with his shoulder, right? He's making a textbook tackle and boom, boom. In the moment as a player is running towards you, you're as and you as a defender, we've already said what the goal is for you as a defender, you're lowering to make that hit to bring a player to the ground and then they start sliding. It's all simultaneous. You do give favor to the quarterback because they've given themselves up, but the malicious hit, the malicious intent was never there. It was all from the shoulder. He never launched. He never led with the crown of his helmet, but he was going to one wrap up, which I know that that was something that is very questionable for this Oklahoma team for some of those wanting to pinpoint a lot of the issues on this defense but when you come in with that shoulder, it tells me he's going to wrap up. He's putting his head where the ball is, and he's trying to force a force a fumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, again, I I got no problem with the play, even though it is a a um, unnecessary roughness. I still got no problem with the play because of the effort that you're talking about that was there. Tulane with 24 first downs, four of 14 on third down for the Oklahoma defense. 
They uh, the Green Wave ended up with 396 total yards of offense, 296 passing, 100 yards even rushing. The Green Wave did average 3.1 yards per carry and three turnovers by this defense. The the thing is when I when I look at this defensive performance, it, it was really kind of a chess match. Things were too easy for for Tulane that first quarter, particularly the open, the, the first scoring drive, that was way, way too easy for Tulane. And you see Alex Grinch has to make an adjustment. They adjusted big time that second quarter. And, and then you, you see Tulane go into the locker room and they come out and they're going to readjust Oklahoma's adjustments. That's where it becomes tricky. I think for Alex, Alex Grinch, because of the, some of the youth that's playing, these in-game adjustments beyond that first move, that's going to be a little bit dicey going forward as these guys are learning schematics and learning responsibilities. You take away the fact that Oklahoma gifted, the offense gifted to laying two additional possessions. I, I don't think the defensive performance was as bad as what people really think it was. Tulane gets the ball in plus territory a couple of times. They get the ball with momentum, but at, but at the end of the day, what do you want the defense to do? They got three turnovers. They, they held them to just a hundred yards rushing. They held them to under 400 yards total offense. They stopped them on third down. So where do you find it? Where do you find the mistakes in this defense? You find it on fourth down. Tulane was four of six on fourth down. And that is huge. That's when, when Alex Grinch, I promise you today, he's schematic. He's doing his scheming. What am I going to focus on in practice this week? What do we need to change personnel wise? How do we change the X's and O's? He's looking specifically at fourth down. How can we hold a team to four of 14 on third down, but be four of six on fourth down? That's, that's something that's going to sit kind of in his crawl, so to speak. And that's where this defense, I think, needs to begin to look at changing some things up. Also, you got to get something uh, running back responsibility coming out of the backfield on some misdirection, taking advantage a little bit, I think, of uh, of some youth, particularly Billy Bowman, who, by the way, played really good. Uh, but um, just some things there that they've got is, that they can fix on film. But really, getting outplayed on fourth down is that's that's got to change. That that's where you start, in my opinion, on this defense. Matt, if we're we're just assessing it in general terms. One of the things that I do think you have to give props to Tulane for was doing the unexpected in the early, in the early, early portion of the game. What do I mean by that? Well, what we knew going into this game was that Tulane had the ability to run the ball. And for a majority of what we saw out of them last season, and even the season before that, and the season before that was the propensity to run the ball before they, before they were passing it. Tulane comes out and on their first offensive drive, they throw four passes immediately. Three of those are complete. The fourth one incomplete. And guess what happens? They still aren't handing the ball to a running back. Right. Instead, Michael Pratt at the quarterback position is now running the ball. So I think you have to give them credit for giving Oklahoma a different look, maybe something that wasn't even expected. I know there's a little bit of a tendency to have your first 20 plays drawn up and to use a good mix to see what's working, what isn't working, try to pinpoint some of the, the weak points, any late, late changes that were made before the game, try to identify those um, or position changes for some of these players. And a new starter has been inserted into the equation that wasn't originally listed there. Needless to say, 
give give Tulane credit where credit is due because that was the whole first quarter for me was they weren't running the ball unless it was from the quarterback position. And then we see late, late in the quarter, about two minutes and 38 seconds, they start going with the running back, Ty J Spear, on a more consistent basis, yeah. while Michael Pratt is still affecting the game, whether he's running it or whether he's passing it. From there, Oklahoma, I think, was able to adjust in the second quarter. You see those adjustments out of the defense. You see basically a complete 15 minutes of football played. You see complimentary football, which is huge. But overall, when we look at this defense, I I know that the scoreboard is indicative of what was going on, but you do have to look at the short field that Tulane was given. You've got to look at some of the, the other things that were happening with the turnovers. You have to look at the mentality. Um, and I know we've already spoken on that, so I'm not going to rehash that. But Tulane was certainly in it to win this game, and they were trying whatever they could in order to secure that win, in order to secure a win over a top-two team in the country in the first game of the season and pull off possibly the biggest upset of the, of the year. Yeah, I, I do think one thing that they're – we talked about fourth down, but I think you're going to see the next two opponents – really begin to try to attack this defense with some misdirection plays. And because that's where Tulane had some success, particularly throwing the ball to the guy out of the backfield mm-hmm. or a guy who's going in motion. And that's, that's what they've got to clean up. That that's one of the areas that they've got to get better. Um, I love the pass, the, the push up front. I think this defensive front was at times as nasty as we had thought they would be. Uh, but then at times they, they left the back end a little bit vulnerable and that back end has got to get stronger. So we'll see. I mean, it, it was, I, I'm not as, as hard on the defense as other people are just because I feel like they were put in a bad spot. I also feel like you got some new cornerbacks out there, by the way, Jaden Davis, I think got the start uh, at corner for Oklahoma. It was Woody Washington uh, and, uh, and Jaden Davis at, at the corner spots. So that's what's one area where I was, I was a little bit off on that because I, I didn't think they would go. I can't remember. I can't remember. I think I said that they wouldn't go with Jaden Davis, but um, I was glad to be wrong on that because you and I talked about fundamentals. Uh, DTL with uh, leads the team with 10 total tackles. DJ Graham, six tackles. Uh, four of those were solo. He also had a pass defense. Um, give me your, give me your guy who, uh, on defense. Who stood out the most to you? Who would you say was a, uh, was a defensive player of the game? Um, I, I do think Matt, that there are a handful of names that you can throw into the equation. The one that I think has the biggest impact, whether their name's being called or whether their name isn't being called is Nick Benito. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give him my player of the game. And it's really because I do think that he sets the tone defensively for, for this entire roster and what we see him do and some of the intangibles that he has elevates the players around him. It elevates their game. You see Nick Benito getting into the backfield. You see him recovering the the mishandled snap there you just see him doing all facets of the game at 100 percent, and there's nothing more that you can ask if you're looking for a leader in my opinion yeah uh that i i can agree with everything that you just said um let me say this also um I really was impressed with what I saw from Reggie Grimes on the stat sheet. Not a lot there. He did have a sack. Mm -hmm. He did have two tackles, but Reggie Grimes was incredibly impressive to me. Um, 
and I, I really liked what I saw. The guy I have to go with, though, is, is Isaiah Thomas because he was just a handful. For the same things you're saying about Nick Bonito, Isaiah Thomas was the same thing. Only had three tackles. He did have a sack. Um, I just say monster of a sack uh, is what he had on Saturday. But this guy was just – he was – he was a handful all day long. And, and what you're learning, what you're going to see is you got Perrin Winfrey in the middle. You got Isaiah Thomas and, and Nick Benito coming off the edges. You're going to have to pick your poison uh, because you know they're going to send somebody else. Somebody else is going to sneak in there. You're going to have to pick your poison here. But Isaiah Thomas is my guy that I think was the most impactful just because of, of the amount of attention that he took up front. We're going to go to true or false post-game, true or false questions, uh, sticking with the same theme. I'm going to ask the questions I asked on Thursday night. I'm going to ask again tonight. And then starting next week with the preview for the Western Carolina game, Richard's going to ask, and then Richard will have post-game. That's how we're going to handle uh, true or false. So we got that coming right now. Rich, five questions. You tell me if they're true or you tell me if they're false. Uh, after seeing what you saw on Saturday, are you ready? Yep. Here we go. Number one. Um, and I, I can't guarantee that these will be as easy softball questions as they were pregame, but here we go. Number one, true or false. After Oklahoma's 40 to 35 win, you can make a strong case or even a case at all that the Sooners are the number two team in the nation. That one's going to be false for me. When you look at the, the number of top 10 matchups, when you look at the number of ranked teams that were playing one another, I think some of those, ind not individuals, but those programs themselves have a strong case to make as to why they should be climbing the ladder instead of falling down it. And when we look specifically, I know that you've already mentioned this one here previously um, and previous to this segment on the podcast, when you look at Georgia's win over Clemson, I think it's going to speak volumes here in the, the non-conference portion of the schedule. A lot of people were thinking that Clemson would be a, a playoff caliber type team, despite losing a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, they were going to replace him with the number one quarterback in his recruiting class. And nobody wants to attempt to say his last name on this podcast, at least. So DJ, the quarterback, there was, there was the thought that, that was he my would just at it. immediately step in and replace Lawrence and not see a ton of drop off. And granted, Dabo Sweeney is one heck of a coach who seems to be able to reload his team on both sides of the ball and get them to produce at a high level. So there was no reason not to have that expectation, but to see them only put up three points, I think should be cause for concern. While we can look at Georgia and say that good defense was being played, I'm not 100% sold on their offense. I just think it's very easy. And I wouldn't be surprised. I know it's highly unlikely, but Georgia could make a case for that number one slot. If we were going based off of one, one category, and that's what have you done for me lately, Alabama not playing quite the same caliber of opponent, but looking like a complete team from start to finish. So I do think Alabama's one. I think Georgia's two. I don't know who will be number three, but I think Oklahoma checks in at number four this week. Okay, fair enough. Um, true or false? The, the insertion of Caleb Williams in Oklahoma's third offensive possession was really something for other teams to be able to take note of, not necessarily for this game plan. I, I'm going to go with true. Um, I think Oklahoma saw an opportunity. I still think that was a touchdown before Caleb Williams came into the game. I still think it was a touchdown, but 
no no one argued it right. no one had a little pity party for themselves and said they said cool we're just going to eat it on the next down anyway and we're going to give you a different look putting that on film and seeing what Oklahoma is capable of doing with multiple quarterbacks has been something that that Lincoln Riley's toyed around with in the past you've seen different sets we can even go back to Bob Stoops days as the 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 head coach of this team and the belldozer. There are different packages that you can include. There are different things that you'll have to defend. And goal line situations are always one of the most trickiest to defend because you have to go such a short distance with, with a set of four downs. Needless to say, Matt, I do have to agree with your statement saying that it is something Oklahoma is putting on film for these other teams to prepare for so that they just waste a little bit of time in practice. Because I don't think Caleb Williams is the 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 player who's always going to run in fact we can even look at week one spencer rattler tries to go over the goal line himself and gets met during the leap going over the top he gets met by a defender so it's not just a one solution it's not something that you could pinpoint and say this is the only time that this play is going to be run but you can be assured that caleb williams will appear in future games when will he be? When will he appear? What situations will he appear in? That's what they're putting on film for other other teams to prepare for, and ultimately, like I said, waste time on. All right, we're going to switch sides of the ball for the next two questions. Um, true or false? Of the young people who played on Saturday, Clayton Smith looked like the most NFL ready guy on the field of the I, young I of the young guys. Yeah, I do think that's true. Um, I was hesitating because when we look at the young guys, are we including sophomores in that guys who have a year of right, right, just experience just freshman sophomore guys? I mean, Marvin Mims looks the part. No, on, on the top, sorry, defensive side of the ball. Oh, my bad. okay, okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, like I said, Clayton Smith, size wise, I think he's there. I think he immediately stands out because of the physical attributes that he has. I know there are some things that he needs to work on. I, I love what Billy Bowman is bringing to the field. I love that level of athleticism, but size-wise, I can't say that he's there yet. So I'm going to go with another true here. Okay, uh, true or false? Uh, I think you've gotten a lot true here, that which is not typical for you, but that's cool. Uh, number four. True or false, the defense, I've already spoken to this, so I'm going to let you give your take on there. Uh, true or false, the defensive performance on Saturday was not as bad as it appears. Again, <laughs> that that one is going to be true, and it's because of the product on the field versus the scoreboard. I know that Tulane was handed a couple of points. We've already mentioned the two interceptions led to 14 points. That's not entirely on the defense, especially when you give Tulane a short field, I think you can look at different moments as game-defining moments for this defense. There was one that that was a huge cause for concern, but it does go in Oklahoma's favor. And that is the fourth down run late in the game after the onside kick, the fourth down run where Tulane needs 13 yards but only gets the 12 of that. So I think they made stops when they needed to. I thought they did their part in helping Oklahoma. But again, when you're not playing complimentary football, it's easy to say that things are out of sorts and to start pointing the finger. I do think the defense looked more prepared for this game than the offense did, though. So that one's absolutely true for me. Fair enough. All right, here we go. Last but not least, uh, this is conference as a whole. The Big 12, true or false, the Big 12 is not as good as it appeared to be with a 9-1 record on the opening weekend. I'm going to go false. 
on that one. I think the Big 12 might be better than what they appeared. Now, we know that Oklahoma was going to be the front runner for the season. We knew that Iowa State, being a top 10 program to start the season at number seven, was going to look the part and was really going to carry the banner. There were some outliers, some X factors here within the conference, Texas being one of them with a new head coach, a a new quarterback, and not the starting quarterback that a lot of people expected it to be in Casey Thompson. Instead, Sarkeesian's gone a completely different route. Looks like B. John Robinson is going to to be the running back that everyone expects him to be, and he's going to carry the load each and every time out of the gate. So I think you've got three quality programs that are ranked inside the top 25. Now, I think Oklahoma State struggled a little more than they should have against the Missouri State, but TCU did what they were expected to do. Kansas State handled business. I'm saying you've got at least uh, a group of five that are going to be quality opponents, regardless of if you meet them here at the end of September as conference play begins at the beginning of October, if you have that week off. Or if you meet them later in the year, and we're talking about November, because we know that championships are won in November. So this, at least a group of five right now, looks to be playing the part of a quality opponent, whereas the I think the verdict's still out on the others. All right, that's True or False this week. Uh, Rich's got both podcasts next week on the True or False questions. What are you most concerned about after Saturday's performance for the Sooners and the Big 12 as a whole? We just talked about it. Uh, We'll run down with some parting shots on that. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Okay, Rich, so you've seen this team play. You saw them play four quarters, offense and defense. What? Let's start with the offensive side of the ball. Go back there. What is your biggest concern uh, on the offensive side of the ball after you've seen them play? The biggest concern, most evidently, and I think a lot of people are going to point to this, is the offensive line. Matt, you've already hinted yeah. at the the rotation of eight, that needing to be dwindled down in order to find a solid starting five and a starting five that can get that initial push, set the tone in the trenches and provide a spark that this offense so desperately needed in the second half of the game against Tulane. Once they get that figured out, once that's settled and nobody's having to look over their shoulder, I think they can focus on the task and the defender that's in front of them and play quality downs. This is Mm -hmm. a a group, an offensive line group, Matt, that I do believe could be one of the best in the country, inside the top five best in the country based upon talent. But when it comes to a cohesive unit, they're not there yet, and that concerns me. Yeah, I, I'm going to piggyback with you, and then I'm just going to add to it Eric Gray on the offensive side of the ball. He's got to be better. He's got to be better than what he was on Saturday, particularly between the tackles. Um, I know if he gets outside, he's fast. He's kind of a jitterbug guy, but between the tackles, he's absolutely got to be stronger, um, and uh, that's just that's got to get better. Uh, defensively, let me, let me start here. Uh, since you got to start offensively, defensively, my, my concern is, again, misdirection, knowing assignments and how much can uh, Alex Grinch, how many, how deep can he go with in-game adjustments and these guys still be able to pick up their assignments soundly? Because Tulane, again, Tulane just took advantage of Oklahoma being off balance, so to speak, defensively in that first quarter. Once they adjusted to that, they became dominating, but then Tulane adjusted again in that third quarter and was able to have some success, uh, particularly after they, they got the momentum with the interception. But to me, it's, it's, um, it's just how 
how deep do these guys go with X's and O's? And that's mm-hmm. going to that's either going to limit you defensively or it's going to open the whole book for you defensively. And I've got some just some questions after that first game. What about you on the defensive side of the ball? Mine mine is actually going to go hand in hand with yours, but it's defensive rotations on the yeah. back end. I yeah. saw on numerous occasions the secondary getting lost and a player running up the sideline for two lane uncovered it's a very easy throw to make but this is a young secondary it's a secondary that also played a lot of players and so when you talk about needing to have this this vocal centerpiece this anchor for the defense i know it's easy to turn to the safety position and say that's who needs to be it but the responsibility is really going to fall on these cornerbacks can guys who are getting into that rotation Jaden davis dj graham Woody Washington. I know there's a couple of other names that we'll see at that position. Those are the three main contributors for me at the moment. So how are they going to adjust? How are they going to take that next step forward and showing us maturity on the field, knowing their responsibility, but also realizing when things are starting to break down and reorganizing it. Yeah, for sure. That That's a good point. Um, hey, something that broke kind of last Thursday when we were doing our pregame podcast, and we just didn't have time to get to it. And we don't have a lot of time on this episode either. But just this, uh, the, the news that Oklahoma, that Oklahoma, that the Big 12 is going to expand back to 12. The invitations are going to go out this week, according to sources. Uh, you know, it's also reported all over ESPN. But uh, Cincinnati, Central Florida, uh, Houston, and and BYU. BYU does surprise me on this, but Rich, I got to be honest with you. This excites me a little bit. Um, this will keep my interest in Big 12 football and, and really basketball as well, but this will keep my interest going with this conference after Oklahoma moves on to the SEC. And I even feel like had the Big 12 done this five years ago, Oklahoma yes. and Texas would not have left. Yes. I, I wholeheartedly Agree with that statement, Matt. I see one of the, the the Big 12's addressing one of the biggest issues with its current slate of teams, and that was the bridge to West Virginia. Yes, there was absolutely. no bridge. I get I get what West Virginia has said and that they are not planning to renew their rights with the Big 12. We'll see if they carry on with that because it seemed as though a natural move for them was to the ACC, and it doesn't sound like the ACC is opening up their membership. It doesn't seem like they're willing to welcome anybody in with open arms. So West Virginia may be stuck whether they want to be a part of the big 12 or whether they want out Cincinnati, again, providing that bridge. BYU has a massive footprint. We know in the, the Mormon community that there's a large, large number of individuals who subscribe to that belief set and do follow this program, whether that's football, whether that's basketball or any of the other sports. And so when you When you're able to grab that market, you open yourselves up to have a national following that you didn't before as the Big 12 Conference itself. We talked about Houston previously and how it seemed like a natural fit after losing uh, Texas A&M. It's going to leave UCF as that one outlier because now they're going to be the team without a real bridge, assuming that this happens. And what I'm reading, Matt, is that those four schools are expected to apply for membership this week. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I get what you're saying by, about UCF, but still, that's not as far as it's not as Morgantown, West Virginia. You're right. It's not. And when we look at UCF, Oklahoma is already recruiting exceptionally well 
I say Oklahoma as a member of the Big 12. The Big 12 is already recruiting Florida. The name, the brand is already present there, where when you get up into Big 10 territory, it's not as prevalent. No, you're, you're right. But, and let's also be honest here. If you're a fan of a team in the big 12, where would you rather go on a road trip to Morgantown, West Virginia or Orlando, Florida? I love the mountains. So give me Morgantown. Shut up. You know, you would go Man, to Orlando. I've, I've been Florida. to Orlando too many times and it's just, <laughs> there's no beach. I mean, I don't know what the allure of Dude, you're, Orlando you're, is. You're it's less an hour than, drive. You're like 30 minutes from Cocoa beach. If you're, I mean, if you don't, if you go to Orlando and you don't make it to the beach, it's cause you're lazy. <laughs> Or your carless. Or carless. Uber, man. Um, here's the thing. Um, it it won't get the Big 12 members back to the 40, 45 million dollar payout that they're going to get no. by the time Oklahoma and Texas finish up this contract, but it is going to be substantially more than the nine the nine million dollar payout that they were looking at um after Oklahoma and Texas leave. And I do think we we talked about this in our our our, our kind of our round table conversation was that this is something that will keep the conference together. This is something that they can move for. And um and I, I mean again I'm excited about it. You know um let's hey, look through the, yeah go ahead. Can can I just say this is really weird. Um you brought up the idea of expansion and I know the names that are, are being thrown out there are those four. Have you seen anything about when those, when those programs might join the Big 12, assuming everything goes according yeah, to plan? It could get very awkward because it's before 2025. And if Oklahoma it and Texas is. have to hang on before 2025, then uh, this could be a 14-team conference. I think that's fun. I mean, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I just, I, again, I'm, I'm mildly excited about this move. Well, and then inside of that conversation is whether whether the Big 12 with those four teams would maintain its autonomous status, whether it would maintain this power five right. label that's been attached to it without Oklahoma and Texas. There's there's a lot at play here. There's a lot at stake for the Big 12. And they do need to make some moves, but they need to make the right moves, not just any moves. I agree with you, Rich, on that, but I do think these are the right moves. I've, I've said that about Houston. I've said it about Cincinnati for a long time. Central Florida does make sense. BYU is the one that just uh, kind of caught me off guard a little bit. But again, you you mentioned the big fan base there, and that just uh, mm-hmm. that that brings in dollars. Um, Big 12 recap over the weekend. Kansas gets the season underway for their conference with a 17 to 14 win over South Dakota. The Jayhawks holding on in the fourth quarter with a defensive stand. Rich, I think you picked Kansas to win this game. I said that they wouldn't. Congratulations on being right. How much do you believe in Kansas football right now? It's about a 10 on a scale of one to a hundred. Okay. So is this, is this the only win or you think they'll pick up another one? I don't know, Matt. Um, I know that you had mentioned this, talking about it with a couple of other individuals and whether Kansas was actually good for a couple of wins or they weren't. And given the way that these previous seasons have gone, I think it was a little bit of a surprise that Kansas got the win in general. Moving forward, I think they could get another win this weekend, but it's never a, a surefire bet if that's what you're willing to do is put money on this game, the, I just would stay away from Kansas because you never know what Kansas you're going to get. 
Yeah, if you're ever going to bet money on Kansas, bet the under. I mean, that's that's the best way to make money off of Kansas. But uh, just like, take Richard's advice and 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 don't bet on Kansas. Um, I the big the shocker this weekend for me in the Big Twelve was Iowa State holding on by six points over Northern Iowa. Mm-hmm. The Cyclones, like the Sooners, only scored three points in the second half. But a sixteen to ten win over Northern Iowa to me that's that's a bigger eye opener than Oklahoma 40 to 35 over Tulane. Am I right or wrong on that? I think you're right on that one. And it comes down to, to quality of opponent. This was, and I sure I get the same things can be said about Oklahoma, but when you looked at Iowa state and their offensive prowess, you expected them to steamroll whoever was in front of them. Week right. One. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Texas, to me, I hate to say it, but uh, let, let's just be honest and let's give uh, credit where it's due. Texas has the best win of the Big 12 uh, and, and over the weekend, a, a home win over a ranked opponent and a very convincing win. I didn't think it was going to happen. You believed in Texas. Again, I'm pointing out the fact that you were right on this. Uh, 38 to 18 over Louisiana. Beyond Robinson, 20 carries, 103 yards and a touchdown. Um, I, I'm not sold on Texas offensively. But I will say that this was a good win for the conference. Yeah, a ranked opponent, an opponent that that put together a pretty impressive resume yeah. from last season and had a lot of believers in them this year. I just thought the talent discrepancy was too much for you, you ULL to overcome. And the Raging Cajuns would fall flat in the second half of that game. I don't know that that's exactly what happened because Texas led from wire to wire. Yeah. Yeah. They just fell flat. They, they fell flat for the entire game and Texas just mm-hmm. overpowered him. This Texas, Texas was hands down the, the more dominant team. Speaking of hands down being more dominant, uh, the shocker for me on the positive note, Kansas state just obliterated Stanford. I said, pregame podcast that uh, Kansas state would etch out a win that, that Stanford would, would you know, win, would cover the spread here, but that wasn't the case. The Cardinal didn't score until the fourth quarter and Kansas state firmly had this game under control by then. Yeah. I was shocked by the defense that Kansas state played. I said that their offense would be on a different level than it was at the end of last season, that it would be more, more, uh, more realistic to expect the Kansas State that came to Norman and beat Oklahoma because of who they were getting back, and that was Skylar Thompson. Takes all the pressure and all the focus off of uh, Deuce. I just blanked on his last name. Deuce Vaughn. But it, it, yes, thank you, Deuce Vaughn. It took all the pressure, it took all the focus off of him because now you have two capable runners in the backfield, whether the ball is being handed off or not. And it just brought a completely different dimension. That's extremely hard to defend. If you're not used to seeing that. The one loss of the weekend, Maryland beats West Virginia 30 to 24. This is a game that we did call uh, going down this way. West Virginia had a lot of fight in them. We said it would be close, but uh, you know, I think we hit this one. Uh, you know, we were both regrettedly saying that West Virginia was not going to win this game. Big fourth quarter for the Terrapins outscoring the Mountaineers 10 to three in that quarter. And then they won by six. So there's the tell of that story there. Texas Tech, I again, I had this as a loss. I can't remember where you were on this one, Rich, but Texas Tech steamrolls 
Houston 38 to 21. And when I say steamroll them, they were down significantly. Uh, Houston takes a 14 to nothing lead uh, in the first quarter, a 21 to seven lead into the locker room. And then Texas Tech shuts out Houston in the second half, outscores the Cougars 31 to nothing over the third and the fourth quarters. Impressive win for Matt Wells. So here's the question, Rich. Is the pressure off of Matt Wells, or did it just amp up big time on uh, on Dana Holgerson there in, in Cougartown? Uh, I think the pressure, uh, the expectations obviously are going to soar for them. Not exceptionally high, but they're going to start to raise to a level that I still think keeps him in the hot seat. Matt, one of the things that I totally missed, um, I said that Texas Tech would win this one. And it's because they had a quality running back, right. which yeah. was Sir Roderick Thompson, who, by the way, recorded out. zero, <laughs> well, yeah, he's zero out. <laughs> stats in this game. Um, but right. it's it's not fair to just say he's the only portion of this offense. And one of the guys that we didn't even mention when we talk about that was Eric Ezukanma, who, I mean, almost eclipsed yeah. 200 yards, eclipsed 200 yards receiving by himself, an average of 25.6 yards on seven receptions. Needless to say, he's a one-man show. As long as he's getting open, Texas Tech's Texas Tech has a shot at winning. Yeah, I had him on my uh, FanDuel roster, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, Baylor, Texas State goes uh, goes about like we predicted, 29 to 20. Bears inch out a win over the uh, the Texas State Bobcats, and then TCU Duquesne, 45 to three, just total domination for the Horn Frogs. Um, again, like we talked about, here's where we were on opposite ends: Oklahoma State, Missouri State, the the Cowboys sneaking out a win again it was a theme in the big 12 three points in the second half for the cowboys uh, after leading 20 to 3 at the half they they end up with a 23 to 16 win defensive stand at the end missouri state had the ball on like i think the oklahoma state 26 yard line cowboys get back-to-back sacks to to secure this game i know spencer sanders didn't play but Oklahoma State averaged less than two yards per carry with their running backs. That's that's the biggest red flag for me if I'm covering Oklahoma State football. Yeah, Oklahoma State, I, I know that the offensive line has been their one Achilles heel for quite some time, and it doesn't appear that it's going away any point in the very near future. Will they address that through recruiting? Will they address that through uh, the transfer portal? I don't know what the plans are. I still think there's a little bit of turmoil there at the university and within the program. So it, it needless to say, Matt, I'm, this is going to be my blanket statement for Oklahoma state is that I think it's going to be an interesting ride. Um, and I would not be surprised, not this year, but within, within the next three to four years, if Mike, Mike Gundy parts ways with the university. Yeah, he may just go into retirement. I, I don't I don't mm-hmm. see him as a guy that goes somewhere else. I think right. he's just a guy who walks away from the game. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us in the Sooner Nation podcast. We'll be back later on midweek to talk about Oklahoma, Western Carolina, and then we'll be back uh, Sunday night to recap that game. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. I hope you have the day off. And if you do, rest up uh, and enjoy family time. And if not, have a great start to your week. We'll talk to you later on. Boomer Sooner, everybody.